You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Yeah, it's like I feel very uh, isolated, even though the fact that like it's clearly in a market like, and like everybody can look in. It's like a little yeah. fish tank and like we're just like, yeah, I feel like in a museum or something. <laughs> This is East Side Story, and I'm your host, Chiang Ng. Each week, I sit down with an Asian or Asian-American artist working in the New York theater scene, and I excavate their life story. How they grew up, how they got their start in theater, as well as projects they've worked on and upcoming work that we should anticipate. This week's guest is Cynthia Meng. Cynthia, music assisted on the musical Town, which won eight Tony Awards, including Best Musical. And she also music assisted on Grace McLean's In the Green that played at Lincoln Center. I finally got to work with Cynthia for one of Musical Theatre Factory's concerts, and I was struck by her positivity, musicianship, and the way she commanded a room with precision and confidence. This episode is recorded with Listening Party inside Canal Street Radio. Shout out! Tell everybody a little bit more about yourself and who you are, what you do, and a little tidbit. Cool. Um, I'm Cynthia. Cynthia Meng. <laughs> Meng, technically, I guess. Yes. And uh, I'm a music director, pianist, sometimes composer, but I, I really wouldn't build myself that way. But I work a lot in theater and I I used to be a software engineer. That was also yes. something I used to do. And this was kind of a recent career change for me. So I love it. Yeah. Wait, can I ask how old you are? Is that a taboo question? <laughs> no, it's not taboo. I'm, I'm 25. <laughs> My God, you're a baby. <laughs> I. Uh, that's uh, really funny because i mean i don't know I, you know i'm doing assistant work now and sometimes it feels like i'm a, i'm old to be an no. assistant no but no but it, it does because because you see all these kids coming out of school yeah. and i'm like okay well i'm i'm not like right out of school anymore like i you know i i will acknowledge like obviously like i'm not like old but you know there are those young young whippersnappers coming out of college and i am definitely not that so yeah, I, you're only three years older calm down i know but it, you know i think that's probably part of growing up is like is that you you feel older than like the people who are younger than you. you're, like, you're like i just feel so old compared to you like you're, you're 21 and right out of school and i'm like i already have a few years under my belt so like, yeah just imagine <laughs> just imagine give it a few more years so you'd be like Oh, like I'm 45. No, I'm not 45. <laughs> but like, it feels like I'm 45. And I'm like, oh, God. But the great Jesus, news is no. Asian don't raisin. So like, we're going to look young and do it. People a constantly while. think I am like 18. I'm like, okay, great. I'm yeah, sure. I'll it take it. Way, Why fine. not? <laughs> Share a little bit about your background, how you grew up, where you grew up, how you grew up, what kind of environment were you in? Cool. My parents are immigrants. Mm-hmm. They came from China in 89. Mm. Um, they were students when they came they got their master's degrees here mm. uh, and so i was born in the states i'm the eldest of three so wow. i was born in the states and then born in chicago lived there for like a little bit but like not enough to remember anything and mm. then moved to california and that's where i lived and grew up so i, I lived in in the bay area mm-hmm. and which was a an interesting place to to grow up i played classical piano like every <sighs> good chinese kid <laughs> that I knew uh, I, I grew up playing classical piano so uh-huh. I, I was trained from a very young age I think, mm. you know when I was like five or six playing little preludes and stuff uh, and I, I did the competition route that was oh. um I, I don't mean this to, I'm not shading like my parents or my teachers because I do appreciate all the things that I grew up with but the competition thing was horrible it, mm. it was really bad for me like why it I don't know I, I think that when you put that kind of pressure 
on a kid, like a young kid. And I don't know, everyone gets like very competitive around like, for, you know, who, who gets the prize and stuff. Yeah. So it just, it was so much pressure. And I really felt that as a kid. And, and as a result, at least with the type of personality I was, maybe I just would like choke. Like that was like my thing, like mm. choking under pressure. So I would, you know, you have this piece, you practice, whatever, you memorize all these things, and then you get up on the stage, and all of a sudden, you're like, oh my god, I can't do it. I, I forgot how to play piano, you wow. know? And that was really, like, you know, it was a pretty big part of my life, and, and it was very... I was the least happy when I was competing. competing. Like, mm. I think that was the truth, and because I loved playing, and there were... I don't know. Like there were just so many moments where I was like, I feel like I don't like this, but I also really do like it. And I couldn't figure out why. And obviously now in hindsight, it's like, okay, well I didn't love the fact that I had to be put in these like super high pressure situations that ultimately now in my life, like don't matter at all. Yeah. Um, but that was, you know, that was, that was my introduction to music. Did and all three of your, like you and your two siblings, did you all go through the same thing? We all did. I was definitely the most intense one. Oh. And then like each progressive sibling was like less. So <laughs> part of me was like, ah, oh, you guys like, don't know. Like, <laughs> you, you paved the way. Right. So, I mean, and they saw, you know, they definitely saw the emotional toll it took. Yeah. I mean, all like. 50% of the fights that I would have with my parents were about this. Wow. Like, we're about, like, oh, like, I just, I, you know, either, like, you're not practicing hard enough or blah, blah, blah. It's, like, because you're not, like, you know, showing uh, the results, mm. you know, or or me being, like, oh, like, I just want to play, like, fun stuff, too. <laughs> and there was something about it because, like, you would go and, like, the competitions and, like, your parents, like, all talk to each other, right? And, like, yeah. and they mingle with each other and they're all talking Chinese, you know? So, <laughs> it, it, it is, like, a, in some ways, like, a, a part of growing up... It, not just Chinese, but like, or China, Asian, but Asian American too. Because mm -hmm. it felt in some ways like it wasn't necessarily you competing. It was you competing. On as, behalf of on your entire of, family. Exactly. Yep. And then you have to like, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. And that's, that's where the weight comes from. That's where the pressure comes from. Because you're like, oh my God, it's not just about me doing what it's about. Like showing that my family is, is good at this thing. Yeah. It was bizarre. Wow. And then when did it change? I mean, you went to college for... For computer science. Right. Yeah. So, clearly, it didn't change that <laughs> <laughs> well, drastically. It was, I mean, it was, it was just weird. For, so, I guess to backtrack even further, like, when I was in middle school, I, I was in choir. And I, I could sing. So, I, I, was, I was in choir. And I, that we sang for good. Yeah. Sorry, at our middle school graduation. <laughs> it's and cute. No, it's great. so cute. And, like, I was like, what is this? Like, this is weird. It doesn't sound like anything else that we've ever sung and that's how I, that's how I discovered musical theater so oh you know I mean it was true Wicked was like a huge um, turning point in my life and once yeah. I figured out what musical theater was and then there was like this um, kind of like theater like community theater troupe like in the area and I got to be a part of that and of course the you know the schools are always looking for free labor so like they're like great like this sixth grader can play piano like just let's just have them play piano <laughs> so, so free for right, free right so I would you know play in a company and that's how I learned that aspect right. of playing piano and, and what it meant to be a collaborative pianist and so if, like music was such a huge part of your life throughout high school why go into you know computer, computer science? science yeah it's a good question i i went to college and it was just very much expected it was like dude like this is you know you you do these things because they enrich your life as a high schooler and then you get a real job practical, yeah, yeah you get a practical, practical degree. degree and yeah, yeah, yeah i think i felt that too and, and where so did you go to college i went to harvard 
Oh, um, excuse. <laughs> casually, she just casually dropped that. She was just, I went to Harvard. Yeah, like it's just, it's just, it's just what you do. Like it's <laughs> just Harvard, duh. Like where else would I go? No, I mean, rude. Know, that's where that's where I went to school. <laughs> um, but yeah, so and when I was when I was there, it was kind of like okay, well. I, I don't know what I want to do. Of course, mm. you go and undecide. You don't declare before you go. And, and oh. then I, I was there and did the first year. I took this introductory computer science course. Both my parents are programmers. Mm. And I was like, this is cool. I, I liked it. You know, I, I you liked were good at it. it. And I was good at it. And, yeah. I, and I did like it. And I, and I do like it. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I didn't know at the time either that I would, would be interested in music direction because I didn't know that was a thing. That was right, another right. thing. I, I didn't know that this job that I now do or the things that I do was a thing. When you were exposed to theater as a kid, was it like you were exposed only in school and like not part of your family exposure? Definitely not. So it was just like your own little experience. Yeah, it was. And, you know, my parents like knew about it because they knew me and I would talk about it or I would like beg them to buy the like vocal selection <laughs> book from Hal Leonard, you know, this kind of thing. I mean, I had this very distinct memory of my of my mom like bringing me to see Wicked in L- in LA because I really wanted to go see it and mm-hmm. it was the regional production it was at the the touring uh, production yeah yeah I guess I, it was it must have been at yeah not not regional but it was it was at the it must have been at the Amundsen no the Pantages sorry yeah and big big theater yeah and my mom we bought these like scalps tickets from this guy in his backyard <laughs> we like drove to his, like, it was like a, it was like a family trip to LA and like my mom was like okay I found these like cheap tickets like on craigslist or something and oh we went God. to this guy's house and then we went to see wicked together wow and that was my first show and it was really really cool i was yeah. so excited and so they were they facilitated that in, in a way yeah um and that that's a very fond memory like i will, I will always have. yeah i always say that wicked's my first show but truly it's not mary poppins is my first oh. musical but I, I i got into musical theater very very late like in 2002 oh wow okay that is late yeah so late yeah right it's like wait what wow i know i mean i didn't grow up here so my exposure to theater that's true but but i i I find because because i've been talking to so many people the threat of like theater not being a part of their lives as part of their family tradition Mm -hmm. it yeah it's it's a big deal especially to asian people and 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 how we eventually end up in theater Mm -hmm. it's like a miracle it is like you know it's just it because it's such an um, it is such an american art form mm-hmm. and that's also partially why i think i was drawn to it as as a kid like i i felt like oh like this is like feels like very american and right. right let's dig into what you just said yeah. right like you said a little bit about you wanted to feel a little bit more american mm-hmm. and and it's not necessarily that you didn't feel american but just that all your living circumstances and how you grew up affected how you felt towards yeah. that do you want to elaborate on that yeah i grew up in a in a, in a predominantly white town mm-hmm. and like and i will also say like there were not a lot of black people or latino people period either mm-hmm. so like it you know the next the next minority group down was asian people but mm-hmm. but at the same time it was still mostly white and like there was definitely all my friends were white and like it was kind of like a thing that oh like that's like so asian of you to like do this thing right they would say that yeah there are things that were said to me that were like that or or even that i would like say you know be like oh my god like i'm 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 in on the joke Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. and so because classical piano it it actually did feel so like asian to me just because everyone around me was asian and doing like classical piano yeah that when i was playing modern music and when i learned to play by ear and play like pop songs and things like that well that was that felt very white to me and and Mm. american and so in in some ways that was what i think drew me to it because it was like this is different this is different than the other stuff that i see 
I definitely did sometimes feel like, oh, like my parents don't have this cultural background that so many of my other friends like share. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I would go to, over to a friend's house and her dad would like play Simon and Garfunkel and things like that. I have this such a clear memory of it. And he played guitar and it was, it was great. And, and that's how I learned about Simon and Garfunkel. Mm-hmm. Definitely not through my parents, but you know, the only thing my parents like really brought over was, with them in terms of like musical pop culture knowledge was like the Beatles, which was, you know, as universal as you can get. And so like getting, getting to know those other art forms through people who were like my peers, as opposed to like the people that I was surrounded with in other uh, facets of my life was part of that. Do you feel like uh, during that time you actively ran away from what your parents associated with so that you could assimilate a little bit more with your peers? Mm-hmm. Did you feel like, or were you even aware of, of what yeah, you were doing? I, I definitely would not have been aware of it mm-hmm. at the time. I, I certainly like, I wanted to do that more uh, and oftentimes more than I wanted to play like the classical stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I think I really was drawn to the, you know, playing with people who are singing or me singing and playing at the same time. And so that, that I was attracted to. And I don't know if it necessarily was like a purposeful, like, ugh, like, fuck you to like, <laughs> like right. my, my culture. But right. it was a side effect of that was that I kind of was like, well, this is, this is cooler. Mm. Like, you know, and this is, this is what gets people to kind of respect me in the social hierarchy of schools. Like, mm-hmm. oh, like you can play like, piano man by Billy Joel. Yeah. <laughs> stuff that like, yeah. people know right yeah and instead it's of pop Bach. when you went to harvard let's talk a little bit yeah. about when you went to harvard um how was that experience like so you said that you took it was practical reasons that you took computer science mm-hmm. did you enjoy computer science while you were doing it yeah and uh how did theater play a part in that journey at harvard i i did like computer science i i was really drawn to the the way that you think as a software programmer, I mean, it was tough. I, I, you know, I think it was very clear to my parents and to me that like, this is not necessarily, it wasn't like my destiny to do it. I think I chose that way for me, (laughs) but like, you know, I, I had some really good friends that really helped me out like during computer science. Yes. Like I, I owe a lot to them in Mm -hmm. that way. In what sense? In that, like, I just, I just felt like it was either that part of me, like felt like I just like didn't, want ultimately like want to do this for a living and so i like maybe wasn't applying myself as hard in that way or or that i just my brain was not naturally attuned to think in in such ways anyways i i was doing a lot of theater at school i music directed a few shows was that your primary uh, no actually i would say my primary thing was was singing in in an acapella group that was a huge which acapella group they were called the Harvard Callbacks. Yes, Harvard is... Callbacks. Shout out. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Shout out. Um, but yeah, and, you know, I, I arranged for them and I music directed the group at some point. And of course, you know, everything you hear about acapella, it's, it, and you know, you are in one as well. So, I mean, it's just madness. And they're my best friends, but I did do a lot of theater. And it was my second half of, of school that I actually became involved with this theater troupe at, at school called The Hasty Pudding. And mm. that was like a student run, although heavily alumni funded um organization that's great it was important for me because because i as a composer for that organization i i and i was like the student conductor for two years Mm -hmm. it was like eye-opening to me to be like oh like this is actually like first of all i love the process of putting up a show Mm -hmm. i love the the 
like going from writing the score and then like running it in the rehearsal room and making all the changes like as you go mm-hmm. and then the orchestration and the arrangements and we had all these like pros like backing us up on that that was like really eye-opening for me kind of seeing the some of the famous like not famous but like famous to me now like alumni al- yeah. alumni who came from that theater I mean, larry o'keefe came from that mm-hmm. um, yeah um nevin steinberg who's uh, who's mm-hmm. the sound designer on hey sound and a ton of other shows like he was also part of that so you know like later like realizing all of these kind of like oh like this is a this is a career path and this is a, a viable kind of like job the thing that i like to do which is play piano and and use the ability that i can sing and 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 sight read and seeing what all these things like all these skills are applicable to a job right 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 right, right. so but you still and then it's still a leap right you still went from college into a job mm -hmm. that had to do with computer science yeah i did that and i you know i I had a job and it it was just like an inkling in my mind this whole like music direction thing but and when i got when i got a job i knew i wanted to be in new york and the idea was that i would come to new york and, and gig that mm-hmm. was always the plan. So, like, you do your day job in the day and then mm-hmm. you gig at night? Yeah. And the great thing Ooh. about software engineering is, I mean, it, it was really flexible. I, I have to, you know, I had to give a shot. I got this job at a startup called Next Big Sound. They did data analytics for the music industry. Mm. Um, really cool stuff. And, like, I I love this kind of thing, like data visualization and, and just what data means in, in various industries. And obviously, for me, the music industry was, like, super cool and interesting. Uh, and so... But right before I graduated, they actually got acquired by Pandora Music oh, wow. Company. So yeah, and so before I even started, they, like that's they how gone. I went to Pandora. They weren't oh, gone. So they you did, went to Pandora. Yeah, and they didn't get like liquidated or anything. They just like were like enveloped by the parent company. Wow. Um, so then I was working for Pandora, but like for this like little company, and mm-hmm. so I, you know, I. I I did. I, I hustled quite a bit. And, and for the first year, I would say I, I kind of like played it safe. You know, in the in the following year and a half that I was there, I was gigging very heavily. And I think my coworkers can attest to that. I was, you know, I took advantage of the fact that in tech, a lot of times you can work from home a lot. You can work on your own hours and you can kind of make your own schedule. I as, did, long as, as long as you finish the work, right? Yeah. And, you know, there are some caveats to it, which is ultimately why I did leave because it was just not going to be sustainable. But I, I took advantage of it. I, I, was a, I was gigging all the time. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done. As, every time I could, I was gigging. I took, I, it, was, it was just like the period of time where I was like, say yes to everything. I love that. I love Which, that. I mean, it's, it's hard. You do that and you're like, oh my God, I'm making like no money. I'm making no money. <clears throat> but I'm I, making no money and then I'm doing so much work. Yeah. But I did have the supplement of like having this other job, yeah, yeah, which yeah. was like a salaried job. Wow. Um, so yeah. yeah. And that. I will admit, like, that was a very weird and probably unrealistic situation for anybody else. If other people, like, asked me, like, oh, like, how did you do that? I'm like, it was lucky. Like, th- I was lucky that this job was willing to trust me enough and that they liked me enough to, to let me do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's what I did for a, a, a bit. And then during that period of time when I was working on at Pandora, I did work on Moulin Rouge. Like, that was, like, I, I had some, like, pretty, I would say, like, important projects mm-hmm. that I worked on during that period of time. But mm-hmm. then it was about... Now it's been about nine months um, that I left a fit, like 
left that job um and it just came to a head it was like okay you know what i've been like thinking to myself for the past few years like if it comes to a point where i want to take that leap like i need to take it now i need to do it while i'm young i don't have kids i don't have necessary i'm able to take a risk and i i fully understand that like pe- people do that at, at all ages and mm-hmm. like i don't want to hate on that but knowing my personality at least i'm like i can justify it to myself when i when i chose to leave that i was like okay great i've saved up enough money for the past few years i've um made enough of a name for myself in the community where i feel like i won't necessarily be wanting for gigs once i take this leap and then also i'm at a time period in my life where the, really the only person i fend for is myself obviously i have a, i have a partner and i i have you know people that i care about in my life but i i, I don't need to be financially responsible for them like a, like i would be for a kid yeah i mean it's all i mean i feel like these are all privileges that we have as like yeah. you know we have first world problems and we have first totally. world privileges and, and I think- absolutely for us to be able to do theater in itself and be able to do any form of artistry within the theater community, yeah. it's a privilege because there are people who are like fighting for their next meal. Yeah. And here we Absolutely. are making art. And I, I, I recognize that. And it's very, it, it's very, I feel very like lucky at least to, to yeah. have been able to, to make that choice for myself. <laughs> and I'm very curious. So you've worked on a bunch of like really high profile gigs, right? Yeah, yeah. it's been you cool. Start, you, you did Hades Town, you did In the Green, and you said you worked on Moulin Rouge. Did you work on the Broadway? Moulin I didn't, Rouge? no. I just worked on it before I went to Boston. It was Great. like this four And how period. did you get, in, like, how did you get connected? How did you start? What, take us through that process. I mean, and it's always <laughs> kind of who you know in yeah. some ways or who has enough faith in you to <laughs> recommend you, right? Yeah. I think that, I'm really grateful to there was just a few people that really kind of like started the chain reaction, you know, and and in the case of Moulin Rouge, actually in the case of both Moulin Rouge and Lempique, it was, uh and um, Hadestan was the same person. I, I worked on this production, uh, this workshop of a show called Lempika. Yeah, that's, you know, up and coming and working with those people. And, you know, Rachel was the same director as, ha- as Hadestown and, and stuff like that. And it was kind of through that, actually, that I got recommended ultimately to to both Moulin Rouge and, and Hadestown. Mm. So uh, it it really just feels like, yeah, it, I mean, obviously, I we've all done the thing where we cold email people. And I've done that. And I don't necessarily not recommend doing that. But that will most likely not be as important as someone that the them. other person directly knows and trusts recommending you and so i'm i'm grateful for like those people in my life that did that and also i can i can very clearly like trace that route for myself and like trace it back a little bit for me so like you said um before you did Hades Town and Moulin Rouge it was Limpica so how did you get to do Limpica and and Limpica is written by Matt Gould and yeah, and Carson Kreitzer Great. Her last name. Yeah. yeah, and they've been working on that show for a while. And, yeah, yeah. And it's I've only heard good things. I've not seen any iteration of it, but I'm I'm sure it'll it's be amazing. fine. It's gonna come. <laughs> I'm extremely biased, but I it's like my favorite show. <laughs> Great. <ever>. Great. <laughs> and how did you get on that gig? Uh that was also a recommendation from someone else. And I, I someone I knew from school. Then mm-hmm. that was kind of like a a a big like a kickoff point for you? Yeah. It was definitely like through those recommendations that I kind of I don't know. Calling it leveling up is such a weird term. No, but like, I think it's, it's like, like making you know, a connection you, to get to where you need to go. Yeah, and, and, and it was you know, really upgrading. Cool. Yeah, project. I felt <laughs> I felt so grateful for like that because it it really felt like you know I don't know it, it just felt like people 
whenever someone recommends you for something, I just like, I feel like that's really cool because they did think of you yeah. in that moment. So talk a little bit about your experience working on such high profile shows. Town won eight Tony Awards. How was that process being in the room, assisting Anais Mitchell and the music team? How, how was all of that? It was, it was amazing. I mean, it was my first Broadway show. It was my, my Broadway debut, I guess you could say. And, and it was like... I mean, it was amazing. I was just so happy to be there like the whole time, like yeah. from day one or day negative five, even I was just like, oh, my God, like this is so cool. I, I fell in love with the music when I was helping people like prepare for their auditions and stuff. That's mm -hmm. how I actually found it. I didn't I like knew that it existed. but I didn't listen to the music until that happened. And then I was like, oh, my God, like I need to like I have to work on the show. <laughs> Our creative team was very heavily female. And that was awesome. Yeah. I have to say that like, that was so cool. I mean, to have. Rachel Chavkin at the, at the helm of it, leading it all. Like that was obviously super important. But then like just the way that everyone was communicating. And I, I thought that it created this like excellent work atmosphere. Um, and so uh, the relationship and rapport between like Rachel and David, who was our choreographer, and then Liam, our music director, as well as, of course, Aeneas, who was there through the whole process. Mm -hmm. That was just like, it felt like an open collaboration. Mm -hmm. And everyone was being listened to and heard. Um, and to be on the music team specifically, I mean, it was really cool because it, it did feel like there was so much attention paid to like every little thing in the music, whether it came to the orchestration, like our brilliant amazing orchestrators and watching them like kind of just hone in and try to like really fine tune a specific moment in the score like that was just like a master class in, in collaboration and then also working with Anais who like you know a lyric it, it, that was a huge thing so the lyrics just like we would have these like all these like little changes like throughout the process and it would be like you know changing a word here and there and 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 seeing how that change the whole meaning of a line mm -hmm. i was really impressed by that as someone as someone who kind of like i would say thinks more macro instead of micro like mm -hmm. that was really cool to like really hone in because because they had had you know off broadway they had canada and they also had london mm -hmm. to to work um, on the show it really felt like in some ways like there was just a lot of like like little fine-tuning moments for Broadway because like they already knew what the show was and the big picture yeah I think in general you know like a lot of the overall picture like I would say maybe remained the same between London and and Broadway but there were so many little details that got changed and and I think that really made a huge difference too and of course there were some there were some big changes but like overall I think I mean looking between off Broadway and Broadway that's a huge difference and between London and Broadway obviously less of a difference and you came on to the show for the Broadway, Broadway right? yeah and talk a little bit about like what your job scope was uh, you know mm -hmm. a music assistant like, yeah what does that entail music I mean it changes for each show but for this show it, you're basically keeping up with all the changes that are happening in the rehearsal process so that is like day one obviously little zhuzhs here and there and then once you get the band in it's like oh my gosh like here are all these changes and our copyist was we had a copyist as well but he was like doing remote work so it ended up being kind of a collaboration between me and him as well sometimes mm -hmm. and of course the best part of the job is the printing <laughs> <laughs> um I kid because it was actually like terrifying how much paper we used. Unfortunately, oh, yeah. I, I'm like, I totally oh my god, <laughs> changes every day. I know it's like unfortunate. Actually, I'm really like kind of like, oh my gosh, when are we all going to be on iPads? 
But anyway, I'm surprised that that's not part of the stage management's duties. No, I mean, you know, they they have enough stuff to print. <laughs> so yeah. for me, that was like I was only music stuff that I was so printing. like the band stuff, band and and like scores, you know, oh. because because like there would be like little things in previews, you know, every, like in like stuff is still changing, like lyrics. We would like there was this one song where we just like kept on like cutting a cor- half a chorus and seeing if it worked and then putting it back in and stuff. And it's so much an organizational job. Like that's really what it is. It is requires you to have a good ear and a good musical mind and a good, mm-hmm. obviously musical knowledge. But what differentiates, I would say like a good music assistant from like a maybe not as good one would, would be the level of organization you're able to keep because like that is like almost more important in some ways than like your musical mind i mean you also just have to be like generally very excited and willing to help i think you know it's very tiring work because you don't first of all you don't play like which is i think a lot of music assistants ultimately want to play myself Mm. included like that is my was and is like my goal is, is to have hands on keys and this is not that this is like you are sitting behind a computer which is ironic because that's what i used to do you know at my old job <laughs> so you know i will admit like it, it gets um it can become very tiresome and like mm-hmm. it's i don't think it's sustainable to do for the rest of your life because if you have like other aspirations then you really get pent up almost you're like oh my god like <sighs> like yeah but on the flip side it's like you are in the room where it happens yeah. right like and you that's are why watching that is exactly why people all do the it. yeah exactly all the magic that happens yeah and there's a lot to learn from that absolutely and and it is a, an amazing way to learn because because you know you there's always something to learn and i feel as someone who's like young in my in my career in this yeah. way like i can just like being in the room with like other music directors is like an amazing experience in that way just to uh, even observe it mm-hmm. assistant work is like that is like the best way to get into the room yeah 100 percent. how is the process different for um hades town and in the green first of all so many similarities i mean like in, that's like really the crux of it is that the work is actually a lot the same mm-hmm. um but the, you know the differences there were, were kind of like in the green it was they were like way bigger changes in the sense that like there would be like a new song like and that was intense like to put that in the show the next day so like you had to do all the transcription you had to prepare Mm -hmm. all the scores for that yeah you know and there was actually one point where i was like i was like on vacation like with my with my family in disneyland my sister graduated from college yeah yeah so this was like you know a conflict that i had cleared before but you know, I was like, I can do work remotely and stuff. And so they were, they were putting a new song into the show. That's a lot. That's like, so I to can do a song and <laughs> transcribe your song in the day, clean it. Was there a copy? Oh, no, it was it? the other way around. I would, I was in Disneyland during the day. I would come back at night and then transcribe the song. I'll <laughs> <laughs> be like on Splash Mountain. I'm like, okay, time to go back. I have to like transcribe the song. Yeah, that was, a, that was somewhat stressful, but it all got done. Um, yeah, of course. But yeah, and, and the, faith, the orchestrations yeah. were slightly different. Like at least it was really a lot of orchestrating i think like on the spot it felt like a lot was happening in the room mm-hmm. so then including working with the band mm-hmm. yeah wow. totally so it was a little bit less of like maybe the traditional orchestrator work where the orchestrator takes it and like does it and then you print it and then you try it and then you make more changes it was it felt very much like okay like what works here do this like and they they like scribble it into their parts and then i take it down and then like print a fresh copy and it was wow. so cool to watch because it felt like it felt more like organic and band yeah mm -hmm. and especially for that show that little like this little off-broadway show it it was important to kind of like hear it 
for, for us especially because we were, they were using some kind also, of also yeah also they were experimenting with things that, that usually don't yeah, go exactly. with we had, you know a band or yeah, an orchestra we had a kanun which is a middle middle eastern type of like zither instrument um, so that alone was kind of like okay we have to hear how this sounds like it's just hard to visualize and uh, so that was important to like be able to hear it and so they were doing a lot of experimentation like in the rehearsal room and then like the job was to like write it all down and then and then like print a fresh copy for the show that night or something <laughs> so it's great yeah so it's fun. it's fast that's the thing you just i mean the other the thing is that you you do have to have a good ear because you have to just like be able to like hear and be like okay this is like what happens like this is how it goes <laughs> like i can't just like spend time like plunking it out on the piano myself yeah you know I, it's only been my first year as a true freelancer so yeah, kind of you're ex- thriving so it's i feel like- very happy but i feel very blessed it, it felt like i mean i don't know like i'm not particularly religious in any way but i i felt like it was the right choice and Mm. i will say this because i I, i've told this to a few people which is that when i was at at my other job like i had i had these such distinct memories of talking with my manager who was an amazing manager great person and we got along so well and um but i would just be like i don't want to be promoted like please don't promote me i don't want any more response just let me code like being like a little monkey like code and and submit the code and and I don't want to make decisions. I don't want to be in charge of anything. Don't ever want to be a manager. Mm. And like now, I don't feel that way at all. I feel the opposite. I feel so hungry to to do more, to, you know, help the people that I, you know, I trust their work or, or that people whose work I'm passionate about, mm-hmm. like help them and also like take on more responsibility either on my own behalf or on behalf of them. Mm-hmm. And I think that, is to me like the biggest sign that what I made, the choice that I made was the right choice because like I, I have ambition now. I feel like, I feel like I have drive and I have like something that's kind of like keeping me hungry and excited for the future. And Mm. that is something I didn't have before. I, I was very happy. I was content. I was pleased in the sense that like I had, you know, a salary and I had resources and stability. Like that. But it was there was this other thing that was like missing, which was the this idea that I would progress in my career. You know, mm. I didn't have that and now I have that. And that is something that I value so greatly. Mm-hmm. Ultimately when I do get down on myself sometimes about being like, oh like I, if only I had just like, you know, out of school come here and just hustled from the beginning. It's like, well, no, I, I actually I think for me, I needed to see what it was like to do the other thing and not necessarily have that mm-hmm. ambition and then like ch- compare that with how I feel now. And then you'll have, it's a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a hundred percent. And this is something that uh, I'm going to like do a little left turn, but also mm-hmm. like very, very relevant to everything that you're saying mm-hmm. is that we don't, in our industry at least, it's starting to be more of a conversation topic, but how has it been to be in the industry, in the theater industry in, in New York as an Asian person and as a woman. Like, we don't really see POC music directors who are female. Like, we see, we, we're starting to see the rise of female artists in power, like female producers, female directors, but we still don't see, like, I can name maybe five very prominent female music directors, but they're all white Mm -hmm. females not to take that away from them because i think that's that's really wonderful but then it's like you're one minority plus another minority how how does that come into play in this industry and and 
And how does that affect you and and how you conquer what you yeah. want to do? <laughs> no, I, 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 you become very, I think, aware of it own in in those circumstances. Like, for for example, I I did I went to like a. I guess I went to an audition like the other day where I was playing piano and and I walked in the room and literally every person that was auditioning there was, was an older white man mm-hmm. and I, I I knew some of them which was great but it is like I kind of forgot almost forgot like how that feels like to walk into a room and be like oh my god like I really feel like kind of the black sheep here mm-hmm. I've been really lucky to work on projects that that actually had a huge female and and uh person of color team. and i think that's like because that's the energy you draw and that's sure yeah Ma- well. that yeah and 100%. maybe that's part of it and but yeah it's and i think that i'm i'm lucky in the sense that i think now there seems to be at least a drive now for a lot of people to really diversify their teams whether or not they want to but that's not really of my concern it's like great it's happening like because mm-hmm. it needs to happen right and so because you get different viewpoints into the room yeah. so it's not one homogenous viewpoint right and i think that was partially what made hadestown so successful was just like having all those different viewpoints and whenever i see a show where i'm like this is just kind of weird like this dialogue is written weirdly or this like you know why why did they write this character like this and then i'm like oh like the entire team is like dudes like hmm maybe mm-hmm. they should have like you know even consulted a woman when they like were writing this female character 100% I don't know but yeah I I think that in terms of like my identity coming into play like when with my career I would say that I feel like I'm able to communicate well with lots of different people and maybe that's just a facet of having grown up like not necessarily as the like majority I, I will also say like I've been approached well not approach but like you know reached out to by several like young asian american um music directors i guess or music director types or people who are interested in getting into this industry and i and i realize now like that is i feel very flattered by that like that's so cool that someone you know has looked at me and been like oh like that's cool that like she does that and i want to do that too because because it's i i didn't have that and um and I wonder maybe if if I would have gotten into the industry like earlier, earlier if I had seen other people doing that because you know I mean growing up like I you know my mom would say and, and you know I don't want to like out her as saying this but she'd be like you know like why do you like doing this kind of stuff like there's always just gonna be like some other like American person who's mm-hmm. gonna like do the job like better or because they like you know no more people or that or they're just it's like more it's more part of their blood at at the time it it felt very much like dude like don't ever forget like you will be thought of as an other Mm. and that was probably how she did feel at the time like and maybe still in some ways like feels now is that like you know you you can try as much as you like but you're always going to be you know they'll never really see you as their own um and that was like a bummer to hear at the time and i'm i I understand totally that that's probably like a a result of a lot of different experiences that led her to say that but yeah it's true you you, when you looked at like uh the stage you never saw asian people on the stage Mm -hmm. i i never did ever so like that was just enough to make you know people like my parents be like that's not for us Mm -hmm. this this art form is not for us classical piano on the other hand is an art form for us because there's so many of us so you know that's the thing it's like it's just like what you see is sometimes it really does dictate 
how you feel as an impressionable person not even an impressionable young person but an impressionable older person like when you when you see like you know i don't oh i don't want my kid to grow up feeling the other in this community of Mm -hmm. people that are like all white and like then they like this is their their parents are like happy to like send them to like musical theater camp and whatever but like you know my kid is is not going to feel comfortable there because yeah so i i all this to say basically i i feel so happy now that it feels like there's more visibility Mm -hmm. you know you and and me and we're we're part of this community that like it feels like there there is like a flourishing kind of like community of of asian and asian american performers and in the, and in artists um and i and i, I think feel so happy about that and it's definitely growing and i think the whole point i mean as you were talking about that i was like that's the whole point of this podcast is to like put that visibility out there people are doing these things yeah. and people are doing it well yeah. you know and and people are thriving so it's a, a common thread a common theme with yeah. a lot of my guests are just like We've never seen ourselves represented in the media in any way growing up. In American media, at least. Definitely not American media, yeah. And how does that affect you? And as a performer who's doing this now, how can you pave the way for the next generation of people who are desperately seeking that, right? And, 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 And I wouldn't say that they're trying to search for validation, but I think they're saying like hey, look at, this person can do it, so can I, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's beautiful. I know, it sounds, it sounds, I feel like we, I hear that all the time, it's like, what? it sounds almost like cheesy, but it's like that, it, but it is true, like, is is ultimately that, yeah, when I when you see someone else doing it, you're like, oh, like, then you can, like, visualize yourself in that place, and mm-hmm. that is important. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, we've talked a lot about <laughs> your entire life uh, and, and, and just so insightful, so exciting. Oh, thanks. And I have a few questions before we, yeah. you know, close out. Uh, the very first one is if you could tell little Cynthia growing up one thing, what would you tell her? It would be that all those like hours that you spent, like at the piano, learning how to play by ear are going to be so helpful for you <laughs> really like and I, I i think that that's important because i think at the time i was at least told by others that it was maybe a waste of time you, know, you just really you don't have to learn to play by ear like those like uncultured people <laughs> so i i feel like very vindicated at least about that like no just keep going in fact you should have like learned to play jazz earlier <laughs> so maybe i would have told myself that and also and also that things get better the, the relationships that you build with your parents is will change over time for the better and for the worse and and things are things always are in in a state of change so mm-hmm. it is never just the way it will never always be the way it is at that given moment mm-hmm. you always can expect it to change i'm so curious i mean this is not really part of the question but yeah. i'm so curious how's your relationship with your parents and how's your relationship <laughs> with your siblings yeah that's a, it's a good it's a good question um and i am a little hesitant to, f- to put most of it on the air but i will paraphrase and say that it, it was a strain for some time mm. um we are very different people and there there were some other factors that kind of like led to that um outside of even like my career choices mm. but um yeah it was it was tough and now it has really gone quite a bit better and i think every- everything changed i think enough time passed you mm. know time passing helps you know people just have time to think over things and i had time to think over things and we had we definitely had a lot of fights in the last few years that was 
you know, it was unfortunate to go through, but the, the relationship is, is good. I would say. And that is, I'm something I'm very grateful for. Cause I yeah. did not think it was going to be good. Like for a long time. Wow. Yeah. So that, that's part of it. It's like you at the moment you're like, wow, this is how it's going to be forever. Like it's going to be horrible forever. And then, and then it just changes because time can do that, which I am I'm happy to have learned, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Um, how would you define success? I'm still learning that for myself. So I, I can only give you the, the answer that exists at this moment, yeah. which is which is just that when you come out of whatever you're doing at that moment, like a, an extended period of time doing something that you feel that no matter what you got out of it monetarily or physically or things like that, or even or even praise from your peers or people who were important, that you feel fulfilled in that way. And that is, it's a hard thing to grasp. It's only something, you only really know it when you feel it. And then you're like, oh, this is what it feels like to like, first of all, I don't give a fuck what anyone else thinks mm-hmm. about this particular thing that I just did. Um, but I feel that I either worked hard, you know, or that I worked hard for something and that I that I either performed my best or put out something that I'm, I feel fulfilled by. Um, so it's kind of a vague answer in that way, but it, but it's a, it's a, such a personal thing. And it's really just about not like other factors withstanding mm-hmm. you feeling like you have, are, are fulfilled. If you can ask me one question yeah. and one question only, what would you like to find out? Oh, I have so <laughs> many questions for you, Chiang. <laughs> How is first of all, is there musical theater in Singapore, and like, ha- and how is that that scene, if any, like, different than here? I was never involved in musical theater in Singapore. There, uh, there actually is a growing musical theater, um, really, uh, kind of culture and all that in Singapore. But I was because, like, when I was growing up in Singapore, I had no exposure to the theater. The only media I was exposed to was television. So, and television was like the god, basically. Like, you're on TV, you were like. You made it, you know, but people keep forgetting that fame is, uh, this, this, there's this quote by Hassan Minhaj that like, I'm like, that's a great quote. It's like, fame is like a rental car. You get in it, you drive it, and then you have to return it. Okay. It's, it's, it's something that's fleeting. It's not something uh-huh. that you can have forever. It doesn't mean anything. So everyone was very obsessed with TV and I was never, I was never exposed to theater or other forms of I art. See. Um, mainly because my parents didn't know it. And as a kid, I'm not like actively looking out for all yeah. these things. And I mean, I'm that old that the internet, you know, was part of my life, but like, it was like the <laughs> dial up, you know, like it was, I should have asked you how old you're. That's the question. <laughs> now I'll never know. You're just so dewy and smooth skin. <laughs> don't know. You'll never know. Well, anyway, but I wish I was exposed to theater way earlier and I didn't, I, I saw my first musical on Broadway in 2010 because I was here on vacation oh. and a callback in America. Like, what? I, I know. That's what was the whole, show? Uh, was it Wicked or? I, I saw my, well, the first Broadway ticket I bought was Wicked, but the first show I was, saw was, was, was Mary, Mary Poppins. Poppins. Okay, yeah. right, right, right. Um, but Wicked was completely life changing. I, I can yes. always remember I was sitting on the aisle, orchestra left, Aww. my friend was sleeping. Alphabo's belting and I was crying. That image will never leave my mind. I don't know if that's like if that's true, 
Like, I think it's true. I mean, it's only been a few years. But, like, that image will always remain no, in my yeah. mind. And, and I know that was like, I want to do this. Did you like that episode of Eastside Story? If you did, follow us on Instagram at Eastside Story Pod and at Chiang Music. Go on to Apple Podcasts, rate us, review us, and don't forget to subscribe. Or if you're a Spotify user, you can also click the follow button. Even better, you can tell someone about the podcast. And the best part, they don't even have to be Asian. <laughs> Thank you so much for your support, and I'll see you next week. This episode of East Side Story is presented in partnership with Listening Party. Follow the crew on Instagram at Listening Party Presents and at Canal Street Market. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.